You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. Welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast, and I have a great guest today. Uh, It's Josh Price. Uh, He's been helping gym owners like myself for many years become more successful. He's also the co-creator of the Brotherhood of Fatherhood, and I'm definitely going to share a link in the show notes for that. Uh, And he himself is a new dad. Uh, which is one of the main reasons um, that his that story is going to be uh, his main talking point today that brings him here. So, Josh, welcome to the show. All right. Thank you. Yeah, man. It's been a while since we've face-to-face. I've been following you on Facebook, and I know everything that you've been going through and, and everything that's been going on, but uh, it's been a while since we've chatted. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, world changed for me. Um, September of last year, um, as you mentioned the story on Facebook. So our daughter was born in December, um, and, um, in about four months time, we noticed that developmentally she was very behind. Um, so we started taking her to, you know, different pediatricians and everything else. Um, and everybody was just like, oh, she'll catch up. She'll catch up. You know, we can't really tell. And then she started vomiting after almost every single feed. Um, and uh, we took her to see a neurologist because she also started having these seizure-like episodes. So we took her in and um, when he saw her, he was like, okay, well, it doesn't look like anything, you know, too crazy is going on. Um, you know, uh, basically gave us some, uh, some medicine and everything to try with her. And, um, over the next four weeks, the seizures and everything, the vomiting, everything just continued to increase. And, uh, he, thankfully he had rescheduled a, you know, follow-up and very quickly we were back in in four weeks. And when we came in, um, she had always been a very light uh, child. Like she didn't weigh very much. She was at 10 percentile when she was born. And when she came that, uh, and she kind of tracked on that 10 percentile range throughout, you know, month one, two, three, four, five. Well, when we came back, she was actually at seven. She had actually dropped almost a kilo of weight and he was very concerned. Um, and we kind of got lucky as it were that she actually vomited all over him <laughs> and had a seizure uh, episode. So he got to see the whole uh, gambit there, which um, at, up until that point, no doctor had actually seen. So he looked at Kelly and I and was like, um, you know, this isn't a seizure. I'm not exactly sure what this is, but um, your, your baby's going to die. Uh, we need to get her help right away. He's like, let me make some calls and I'm going to see if I can't get y'all into um, Oshner at New Orleans because um, they're built a lot like, um, oh goodness. I'm not working on a lot of sleep, folks. <laughs> we no, just talked, we talked uh, before we came on here and he's uh, he had the night shift last night. So a little, 
little tired today. Yep. So their hospital, it basically has all the specialties. Uh, Mayo Clinic, uh, the one in Baltimore, I can't, I can't think of it. All I can think of is they're good at lacrosse, like randomly the <laughs> college at lacrosse. Um, so anyways, uh, they, he was like, this is a place to go because basically you can get checked in and then every single specialty will check her out. Like they'll run the full gamut. You don't have to go anywhere else. They've got everything. So he's like, let me make some calls and see if I can get you guys um, in, you know, without having to go to the emergency room and, you know, all of that. Uh, so I actually went to the airport to go to the big event in Montana because he we asked, okay, well, how long is this going to take? And he was like, oh, it'll only be a couple of days. You know, it won't, it won't be that that big of a deal. So I'm sitting in the airport um, and I'm talking to Kelly and I can tell how overwhelmed and everything she is. And I finally just asked her, I was like, do you want me to come back? And she was like, yes. So I was like, okay. So called uh, Ramage um, and told him like, I can't make the big event. I got to go back. Um, You know, talked to the airline. Airline was awesome. They just like, refunded the ticket and made it super easy. And then I was already in New Orleans. So that was, uh, uh, helpful, but I had to drive back <laughs> to help Kelly get, uh, get prepared. So I drove back, um, and then came back to New Orleans, uh, that day, which is about an hour and a half from our house. Um, and we checked into the hospital for what we thought was going to be a couple of days, um, and turned into 27 days. And during that time, um, she saw everybody. She saw GI, she saw endocrinology, she saw respiratory, she saw, um, man, if you're a doctor, she saw, I mean, eyes, ears, nose, throat, you know, everything that ran a gamut of um, uh, uh, DNA tests, genetic testing on her. Um, And at the end of it, all they could say is, um, well, she's throwing up when she eats. So there's only one option that we can do, which is to give her a G tube. Um, you know, that's the best thing. So G tube is just a tube that's placed into the stomach. Um, I, I'm like, it's about that long, <laughs> but it's as long as, uh, you know, depending on the stomach wall and all that, and it just drops nutrients directly in because for whatever reason, when they were doing, uh, swallow studies and all the rest of it, um, she, everything worked fine, but for some reason there, there, there was, you know, an evacuation because it wasn't, um, it wasn't typical reflux. Like it wasn't chemical reflux or anything like that. Um, so, uh, during that stay, I stayed the entire time with her. I just was like, I can't let go. Like I can't not be here. And Kelly had to be at work, but Kelly, you know, came up um, often after work and then on the weekends, um, brought our son once, <laughs> um, wasn't the best idea. He got pretty upset. <laughs> um, but that's how okay. Old your, how old's your son now? Um, he's now nine. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, we go home and we have one, uh, genetic test still out there and it's a mitochondrial test. And this is the test that apparently is the Cadillac of tests, but it has to actually go to, um, uh, 
somewhere in Maryland and it's going to be weeks before we hear back because it's that like they dig down that deep. So they not only dig into the DNA on that test, but they also dig into the mitochondria on that test. Okay. So we're getting all the way down into, for your listeners, what's the mitochondria? It's the powerhouse of the cells. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so we're just waiting and um, we had talked to our doctor, uh, Dr. Um, call her Dr. Kashmir. I'm trying to remember what her real name is, Kreshmar. So we talked to her and uh, we're like, hey, we want to take her to Disney as we wait. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. No problem. You got her feeds, all that. Um, so friends of ours uh, met us because Kelly was like, we're going to Disney. And she literally like just booked a trip to meet us to help and everything else. So it was amazing. Um, we were there for one day and Brighton caught the flu. Oh. Yeah. So I had to take her to the emergency room. Uh, uh, they checked her out. They, it was flu. So then they gave us meds for her. So um, me and Kelly switched off the whole trip. Uh, one of us in the room with Brighton taking care of her the whole day. Um, and then the other was my son at the parks. Um, we came home and about the time we came home, we, uh, the mitochondria test came in and we knew it was bad because they immediately said, we need you to come in mm-hmm. <laughs> and like us over the phone. So we came in and the genetic counselor, um, can't remember her name, but, uh, she was very, very kind, very nice, told us that, um, she that Brighton had Lee's disease and Lee's disease um, affects uh, one in 40,000 children. So it's very rare. And basically um, what it, what it does is in the mitochondria at some point um, it interrupts the flow of um, energy being produced. Okay. There's, something like 200 different places in the mitochondria that it can upset the flow. So some people with Lee's, um, if it's late in the like electron transport chain, like way, way down uh, the road, um, they may not show symptoms at all until they're like 20, 30 years old. Um, And generally they'll be okay. If it shows early, um, then, um, uh, the patient, client, whatever, will show early, um, just like Brighton did at about four months. So hers is right in the very, very first section. I think it's the um, uh, the N5 uh, gene of the mitochondria. Um, so because of that, Brighton's uh, prognosis is that she won't live until she's three. So, um, the, <laughs> the shitty part, I mean, beyond like just losing your, losing your child is like, it's progressive. Um, right. I didn't really know what that meant. <laughs> I think you kind of know what progressive is, but like living with that is something else like to actually see your child who like was starting to develop, you know, starting to 
starting to roll over, starting to sit up, um, you know, start to back off to the point where they can't. And uh, we've got more to the story before we get there, but that's where we're at now. But that's when we were first told it was progressive. And I was just like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's progressive. Great, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it. Um, so anyways, we went home um, and uh, we kind of settled into this G-tube life. Um, and things were actually really, really good until the end of November. And um, all of a sudden she started having uh, like almost real seizures uh, continuously. And they were amping up, amping up, amping up. And finally Kelly looked at me and was like, well, let's go to the hospital. And I'm like, yep, let's go. And it was the craziest thing. It was her sodium levels. Her sodium levels had dropped off. And for any of your listeners out there, if your child starts having um, seizures or anything like that, that just won't stop or you do or anything, it can be your sodium drops too low. And um, somehow that messes with your neurology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the doctor's like, well, her sodium's low. And I'm like, great, give her some sodium so we can go home. And she's like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> she's like, it's actually a very tight process that we you know, titrate up to um, getting her because if you swing too far, it's just as bad. So we've got to figure out how much sodium she needs, um, you know, get her level and then start supplementing, playing playing with her supplement and her food um, to uh, see where that's going to keep her at a good balance of sodium. So we're in for uh, from Christmas Eve to New Year's Day. <laughs> Um, and so my family was in town for Christmas and everything. Um, so they got a nice beach vacation for Christmas <laughs> that we weren't here for. <laughs> um, but again, just the children's hospital at Oshner was absolutely amazing. Um, just the things they did, they decorated her room. Um, they, uh, Santa came and gave her this huge bag of toys and then found out that she had a brother and brought him a huge bag of toys. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, how, how old was she at this point? She's uh, uh, a year at this point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right at a year. So it started at um, seven months ish at, at the initial diagnosis. Um, so yeah, she's right at a year. Um, it takes a while again, like I said, you know, what is that about 10 days or so to get her back to normal? We had home. Um that little gap when she headed home, she was never right. Okay. So we went back from the hospital on January 16th and, um, she just wasn't right. We're just, we're supplementing, we're doing everything that we can for her. And then, um, this is when the haymaker landed. We were, uh, in the house, um, just doing, uh, uh, just normal things. I think it was a Sunday and Kelly, it was January 16th. So we could find out what date is, but I can't remember. <laughs> Kelly's laying in bed. She's like, I'm going to go lay down for a while. Brighton's laying next to her and she hears Brighton cough and then nothing. She immediately knew something was wrong. So she jumped up. Brighton was purple, wasn't breathing. Um, she administered CPR immediately to her, got her breathing again. I called 911 because I heard Kelly yelling. 
and knew something was wrong. So called 911. Um, the uh, paramedics in the fire department got here. And they were like, what do you guys want to do? <laughs> like go to the hospital. They're like, okay, good. <laughs> um, you know, put her on oxygen. Um, this poor, this poor firefighter, he like sat there holding her in one arm, like giving her oxygen and just like taking care of her. And then when uh, they finally took uh, her from him, like he was like, oh my gosh, I can't feel my arms. Like, <laughs> he, like not letting go though. He was like, yeah this is my baby right now. And, um, so they took her over to the emergency room, ran, uh, um, oxygen saturation, a couple of things, and they didn't really see anything, um, anything else. And it looked like after the x-rays that, uh, the aspiration had not created a, uh, pneumonia or whatever. So it wasn't going to develop into pneumonia. So, um, we tell us to go home and then all night it's just it's bad we get up in the morning to give her her morning feed she throws it up everywhere and she just went gray and so kelly was like i don't know what's going on let's go to the hospital so instead of going again to the close hospital we just drove all the way to new orleans that poor little baby we could hear her gasping the whole time we're just like driving as fast as we can because we're trying to get to the big hospital with everybody we pull in and just grabbed her and ran inside because i was like there's no time to put her in anything and um like i'm just trying to check in as fast as i can and um they were actually like really good like i don't know if they could just tell there was a line in front of me and the nurse was just like looked at me and how frantic i was and uh, she hooked her up to an O2 monitor and she, her oxygen saturation was at 55%. She immediately took her into the back, got her on oxygen, um, and the doctor came in. And like I said, we thought we were really there for, you know, another stomach issue because she had vomited twice. She had aspirated. So we're thinking, you know, stomach, not air, even though her oxygen is, is low. Um we're just thinking like, you know, it's crazy, but we, we don't really know what's going on. And um, they had her on the mask and they put her on a nasal cannula and they put her on a CPAP. And we're like, what the hell is going on? Is going on? And we found out that her CO2 was just rising and rising and rising. And he looked at us and he was like, um, you need to choose right now whether or not you're baby's gonna live and we're like what do you like what what are you talking about we're here for a stomach issue you know like we're still thinking we're here for a stomach issue and he's like no she's not blowing off her co2 we need to intubate like now um you know we're out of any other options this is it do you have any problems with intubating and i'm telling you kevin me and kelly like couldn't get our brains wrapped around and we we're just sitting shocked and Dr. Ludi, who had seen her back in uh, December, who was her doctor, came in, like, just happened to walk into the ER. Like, literally, like, as we're, as she told us later, she is like, I literally just walked in because I was checking on um, just how things were going down there because she's the head of the uh, pediatric ICU. And she looked at Brighton, saw that she wasn't breathing. It was like, intubate her now and get her up to the NICU. 
And um, it's just one of those miracle things that happened because she saved Brighton's life. Because I think that me and Kelly would have made that decision, but we were in shock. You weren't in the right mind frame at the time yeah. to like make yeah. a clear decision at all, right? Yeah, yeah. We were just, I don't think I've ever been in a shock like that. I don't think I've ever been in a place where I'm just like, didn't know what was going on and was just bawling, you know, just get told, you know, it's January 16th, your daughter's just a little over a year old and you're just told that she's, I mean, she's basically dead, you know, on the table because her respiration is just dropping and dropping and dropping. She's in respiratory arrest. Um, and we just didn't know what to do. Like we couldn't connect the dots at that time. So um, Dr. Louie, uh, they intubated immediately, um, got her stable, brought her up to uh, the uh, ICU, and um, that started a 70-day uh, journey in the hospital of us, of her um, uh, on a ventilator, of them looking like she was going to be um, okay um it really did look uh look like that at one point um they extubated her um and for about three hours it was looking like she was gonna be fine and then all of a sudden like she just stopped breathing again so they had to re-intubate and then they looked at us and was like the only thing is a trick you know, it's either a or you guys say goodbye. So we're like, trachea. <laughs> so uh, they performed a tracheostomy. Um, and then that's the longest part of the journey. And it's kind of, I will say it's, it's kind of cool, you know. So we learned um, how to do trachea care, how to change a tracheotomy, how to care for it, how to work a ventilator, a suction machine, a, a pulse oximeter. Um, you know, we learned how to care for her uh, uh, in ways that, you know, most parents are never going to have to do. And thankfully, most parents are never going to have to do. Um, and me and Kelly really took to it. I think that, you know, you can be scared of it, but you can also just like, like, I don't know, in a way, like enjoy the process of learning how to do this. You know, like I'm like when you think about skills and everything, me and Kelly were like, man, this is kind of cool. Cause like, uh, we're a Disney family. We go to Disney a lot. Uh, so if there's ever a kid who, you know, is in need or a parent who needs help, you know, with a trade kid, um, like we know what to do, you know, we know how to, how to clear it, change it. I mean, everything, like even to the point that we're, we're better than, uh, most of the nurses because we have to do it all the time and you know they don't so that part was really neat but it was also the the longest part because you change a trach once a week um, and they wanted us to do five changes so we were already going to be in there for at least five weeks as we're doing the changes and all that um, there's also uh these like go trips that you have to go on because there's a lot of equipment. So you have to learn and pack and, um, and do those walk around the hospital, walk around, you know, do emergency procedures. There's a lot of learning to it. So 
um, it, re- it very much felt like back being in the army again. And I was like, oh, I know, I know how to do this. Like, this is training. I got this. Um, and then uh, finally, we got all that finished and we thought we were ready to go home. But she was on two um, really hard drugs, uh, morphine and um, goodness, like Dilaudid or something like that. So they decided that they didn't want to send us home doing a double wean. So we ended up having to wean her off. She went through withdrawal just because of her Lee's disease and the fact that she doesn't metabolize well. Um, so that ended up, you know, uh, extending our stay for goodness, like another 15 days. Um, but we finally got her off and then we did, uh, the morphine wean at home. Um, so getting home, that's when like it became real. Now it was 24 seven care with just me and Kelly caring for her. Um, thank goodness. Uh, Kelly's parents came and stayed to take care of Sully. And then my dad came to take care of Sully. Um, actually, that, that's who was taking care of Sully the entire time we were in the hospital because me and Kelly were in the hospital pretty much the entire time. Um, and uh, so they got him through school. They got him finished up for the year. He came up a few times and actually did a lot better uh, coming up, even though to me it was more scary because she now has this you know trach sticking out of her neck. But for whatever reason, he was like, this is fine. <laughs> so maybe maybe enough maturity there. Um, so that's where I think the resiliency really comes in is actually when we got home and we didn't have, you know, we had to learn how to be the respiratory tech, how to be the nurse, how to be the doctor, how to be the troubleshooter, how to be the parent um, of two children all at the same time. And one of the biggest lessons I learned in that um, really was to minimize and focus, you know, like I, I really realized like, um, at this point it still wasn't working. So it was like, okay, like there's certain things you need to focus on. And one of those things that I really realized early on was self, I had to focus on myself in the tightest time frames that I possibly could. Okay. So, um, I have a powerlifting injury from a long time ago, and it's really kept me from working out. At least that's the story that I told myself. Um, and so one of the things that I love doing is swinging a kettlebell. And I just realized, like, you know, I could swing a kettlebell for like five minutes. So I just started doing a 10 by 10 of left and right arm, one arm swings every day. Um, doing that, I actually dropped 20 freaking pounds. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Just a 10 by 10 of swinging, um, and just being more cognizant, the energy that that provided, I think helped a ton in taking care of Brighton, you know, like it, it's absolutely insane. People talk about, um, you're going to feel more energy. And I think at times like we don't, I think back to all the clients that I helped and everything. And, um, there's not, there may not be a connection there, but when you're so tired because you're taking care of your daughter and then all of a sudden you're feeling less and less and less tired. It's like, Holy cow. Um, this really does work, you know, like workouts really do work. <laughs> I just want to, I want to take this moment because 
if anybody's made it this long and listened to this entire story, they're obviously like amazed at the extent that you and your wife and your whole family have gone through to get to this point. And the fact that you were still able to squeak out and make time for yourself speaks volumes because we, I hear these stories all the time from people that say, well, you know, I have kids and I have a job and I don't have time for this, that, and the other thing. They feel guilty if they spend any amount of time working on themselves, mm-hmm. their stories don't, don't even come close to what you guys have gone through. And so I hope that serves as a, a point of inspiration that we're not asking for an hour or two hours out of your day to take care of yourself. You took five minutes, lost yep. that weight, feel better. And now you're a better husband. You're a better yep. father as a result of, of making that a priority. So I really yep. want that to be a, a focus point here. Yeah, it helped so much, you know, and I know I need to do it. And I know other people, like even without everything going on, I know you feel the same way. I know you feel tired. I know you feel uncomfortable. I know, like for me, I felt very angry during that time. Like right through that time, I was very angry, um, you know, very upset that I'm losing my daughter. And I can't tell you how much that physical activity helped. Mm-hmm. Again, five minutes, you know, it, it, you can go to Walmart, everybody listening, you can go to Walmart, you can buy a kettlebell, uh, and you can do left arm, right arm swings. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can ask me or you can ask Kevin. We'll be, we'll be happy yep. to tell you. 100% something. happy to help. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just helped so much. And then I kind of found out like dopamine, um, you know, which gets released while you're working out. I didn't really know this because um, I just always worked out because I, I like to and I like to lift the really heavy things, which is why I was a power lifter. But I found out like how much like sense of like joy, happiness, completion, all of those things are and how anger um like, yes, it's an emotion, but it can also be a lack of neurotransmitters. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. And, but I felt it. I learned that I lived it, um, during that time. So, um, I really just kept swinging my kettlebell, you know, every day is easy to find five minutes. A lot of times it's brightens in the crib, you know, next to me. And I'm just swinging before bedtime or whatever (laughs) from the, like, tuck in for the night to watch her or um if it wasn't my day like I'd get up and do it the next thing that I really found um was just serving my family like uh and how much that helped me to just like clean up the house you know uh do the dishes do those things to just kind of put the house into order and then it was so much easier um, again, you know, I'd give myself 30 minutes and I'd be shocked that it only took 10 minutes, you know, to actually do it, you know, and then like you feel accomplished that day, you feel good that day. Um, and then like, I didn't feel bad about sitting down and watching TV or playing a video game or whatever else, because I'd done those things. Um, so a, a lot of that really just became, um, you know, self-care. Um, I learned how to cook. So that's another thing I just put my mind to again, because Brighton's laying there in her crib um, or I'd pick her up and put her on. And Kelly does this too. We'll pick her up and put her in her chair um, and then put the chair to watch us. And then we'll talk to her while we're, we're 
cooking. So I kind of got into cast iron. <laughs> while nice. we were doing. Yeah. Um, and my favorite thing to make is a fried bologna sandwich of all things in cast iron. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I do uh, I take some uh, mayonnaise, salt and pepper, uh, bologna, um, jalapenos, uh, pepper jack cheese. Obviously you can tell I like things spicy. Um, cook it all up and eat that sandwich. Now that sandwich is almost a thousand calories. I counted it. So, um, if you're going to eat it, uh, make sure that you, uh, uh, Balance it out. yeah, yeah that, that you might want to, um, have a, a light dinner or eat that for dinner and then you're probably fine. Um, then the uh, next thing for self-care is just talking to people. You know, uh, as you can tell, I've told the story a lot, you know, of everything that we've gone through, but I can't tell you how much it's helped, you know, me to talk to Scott Ramish, to Scott Romine, to talk to Matt Van Schoik, um, you know, uh, talk to now my partners. Well, I'm, uh, I'm employed by PT Legends, but still they're, they're my partners, Scott Carpenter, Dave Bess, and uh, Will Schiller. Um, they've helped so much and just the support they've given me like if anything comes up with uh brighton just yeah go like do it we're going to cover for you and we got you um you know and then another thing is like you mentioned earlier the facebook like i i wouldn't say that i got into depression i don't think i got to depression um but like I said, the sadness and stuff at times is just incredibly overwhelming. Um, and one day I just posted and Matt called me the next day to make sure I was okay. And I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm okay. I was like, I actually felt really good to just kind of write and get it out there. And uh, he was like, well, that was amazing. Will you just keep doing it? You know, if not for yourself, do it for me, you know, so that I can follow along. And um, I was like, sure. And then um, Jeff Larsh reached out to me. So that's another, um, buddy of mine that really helped during the sign. And, uh, he was like, Oh my gosh, like, just keep writing, keep writing. You know, he's like, it helps so much. And I'm telling you, um, of everything that I've done, it's probably the most fearful one. Like I have fear that people are judging me. I have fear that people will see me as weak. <laughs> um, I have fear that, uh, you know, they're like, why can't this guy handle this? Right. And as I feel those things, I'm just like, I'll just keep writing, keep writing. And all the feedback that I get back from people, you know, Josh Melendez wrote me this week, <clears throat> who's a gym owner in Houston. And he was like, man, I'm so impressed by your, uh, you as a father and you're an inspiration. And I'm just like, I'm like, man, that is not how I feel. I feel so weak in this moment you know i feel so small you know it just it's like i only want one thing i want my baby healed but i am glad that i can help others in this so that and it is catharsis <clears throat> it does help but it also made me realize um, how much more I want to help others. So, um, 
the last thing that I kind of did was anybody who needed help <laughs> just started out. I just started, okay, get on the phone with me. Like, maybe I can help. I'm, I'm a very confident person, so I know I can. <laughs> but I'm like, get on with me. I'm happy to talk to you. So I just started talking to people. And that's when the guys at PT Legends were like, hey, do you want a job? I see you're kind of doing this again. <laughs> and uh, I was like, you know, I don't have much time. I only have like maybe five hours a week. And they were like, we'll take it. We'll take it. You know, and that got me in front of more gym owners. And one of the coolest things that I absolutely love that they asked me to do uh, literally was free help calls. They're like, man, we have people in our group that are struggling so badly. Um, you know, they can't afford us. They can't do our program. Um, would you be willing to just get on calls with these people and get them out of the pits that they're on for free? You know, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. And um, I've done probably 10 to 15 of those calls um, and more every week as we line them up. And it's just such an amazing thing and such an amazing like that those guys you know obviously we want to work with these people you know the goal is that i would get them to a point where you know they could afford us and we could do it but like it's still in their you know court whether they want to or not but it just feels amazing to be part of an organization that wants to do something like that you know so all of those things like have really helped me in my own self-care you know and then like i said compartmentalizing it down so i know that like until noon i'm not working i'm with brighton and then from noon uh to about four or five i'm gonna work on free calls and that type of thing and then from five to noon the next day it's all family and brighton um and just staying focused that way because i just realized that like you know getting the most important things out of the way you know, early if you can, or scheduling them if you can't, um, and eliminating a lot of the distractions, eliminating a lot of um, just the crap that fills our lives has just helped me to get so much more um, focused. And uh, I just, I, I cannot tell people enough, like, you know, I was on a, actually a call with somebody yesterday and he's like, you know, talking about his anxiety. And I was like, okay, well, what do you want out of life? And he's like, well, I want to be fulfilled. And I'm like, man, everybody wants to be fulfilled. Fulfilled doesn't even mean anything. Not like, anymore. Yeah. Tell me what you mean by fulfilled. Tell me, like, tell me exactly what you mean. Because, like, if we can take fulfilled and make it into, an actual thing, then we can set action. You know, somehow I raised my hand. Uh, so I'm like, now we can say like, okay, fulfilled means I want, you know, a better relationship with my family. You know, I want uh, more sex with my wife, right? Talking brotherhood of fatherhood, we talk about that a lot. You know, I want a better career. Okay, now we can start talking, what do you want to do in your career? You know, now we can pinpoint and start making action. Right. Because this world is really a world of action. Right. That's what it really is. So if we can at least pinpoint these things and start working towards them, we can accomplish them. But when we're just like, I want to be fulfilled, I want to be happy. Well, that's just the state. 
That's a, float, a floating, a floating dream. It doesn't have anything concrete to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I want to so, go back a little bit because you, yeah. you talk, I just recorded a podcast. It was the day after father's day and I was talking about um, traits of toxic masculinity. And we've been hearing about that more often in the news, but I kind of took it a little differently. And that one of those toxic traits is that men almost refuse to be vulnerable. The fact that you were willing to open up and write about it and talk about this, that, that to me is one of the most positive traits of masculinity that you can observe, that you can actually like come out with and promote. Um, So I just wanted to highlight that because that's such an important message. We don't, we don't have to be this self-reliant or overly self-reliant and think I can handle everything or I should handle everything. You don't. You can ask for help. You can talk to people. You and I are both here to listen to others. And that's, I think that's a really important message to get across to men. So keep keep pushing that. Yeah, it's huge. You can't handle everything. You know, it's why I ask people to do free calls with me because I know like just being a sounding board at times is going to be enough. Like they just haven't talked to anybody else and got uh, confirmation that what they're thinking is correct. You know, there's the things that just bounce around inside your head. And, um, you know, like I, I really think, you know, that's what Satan is. You know, people talk about Satan being this evil deity and everything else. Nope. I just think it's the negative thoughts that bounce around inside your head, you know, that tell you that you're not good enough or that you can't get over or anything like that. And it's like, man, when you voice those to somebody else, man, it kills them quick. You're letting you know? it go. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just imperative, even though, like I said, like it was the most fearful thing that I did, you know? So when you were talking about toxic masculinity or pent up anger and aggression and all of that, that lead to the toxic traits, like, it's amazing that just talking helps so freaking much. So yeah, I absolutely tell all the men who listen to this podcast, like, um, talk to somebody, anybody. It's amazing. And you'll find out so many guys are going through the same things. And next thing you know, you've just made deeper relationships and deeper friendships with these guys. I and mean, that's what happened with me and uh, Ramage. You know, that's what happened with me and Matt and all the guys that I mentioned. It's like, you know, all of a sudden they're telling me, like, it's so funny because they're like, oh, I don't want to burden you, you know, because you're going through so much. And I'm like, dude, that's life. That's life. But at least if we can share it, like we're all going to grow. We're all going to go further, you know, like, yeah, it sucks what's happened to me, but like things are still happening to you too, you know, and we don't need to diminish those things because of some, you know, ordering or whatever that we're trying to do. Like it, it just doesn't matter. It helps me just as much to help you as it, as it helps me for you to help me, you know, that's a fun quote right there. But, uh, um, it just, it, it's just true. It just helps, you know, so, so, so much, you know, and one of the things, um, this, this is probably the biggest lesson that I've learned from Brighton in all of this, um, is that if you're willing to change the only thing, um, there's only two things that are going to stop you from full change. Okay. Taking action and time. Those are the two things like to really reach your goal. It's taking action in time. So taking action, I found 
um, is actually pretty simple. It, it boils down to um, really knowing what you want uh, and um, finding somebody who's already got what you want once you realize it. So you go, man, this is how I want my gym to be. This is how I want my family to be. This is how I want my body to be. This is how I want anything. It's like, okay, well, in that, now that I've got it very clear, who has done this? Who has absolutely done this? And let me go learn from them. I don't need to reinvent the wheel. I don't need to do any of that. So hire a mentor to fix your business. Hire a mentor to fix your family. Hire a mentor or a coach to fix your body. Um, and in this, I've done this. Like with PT Legends guys, I, I love their model more than anything else. Why? It's the most deeply empathetic coaching model that I have found. It is for the person who wants to work one-on-one -on -one with a client and really, really, really transform their lives, right? Yes, it can be done in other settings, but it is best, I think, in a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, in family, uh, I have my dad that I talk to. I actually have a uh, spiritual advisor, a rabbi that I talk to. He's a very interesting guy. He is a, uh, <laughs> a rabbi, but he is... Um, messianic so he believes in jesus <laughs> so it's kind of a a neat mix of uh jewish hebrew thought and uh but um he helps me and kelly quite a bit just work through and talk through our stuff um and then body uh dave bess my one of my boys i mentioned earlier you know um he actually asked me this is one of the coolest things so maybe this is for you kevin he told me about uh, Body by Science. I'd never heard of this. And so I read that book and he asked me if I would do a nine week um, program with him. Um, and it's been absolutely amazing. Like my body doesn't hurt. Um, Kelly is like, yeah, I can already see the, the differences in your training. And again, talking to dads or talking to folks who are listening to your podcast who aren't working out. It's one workout a week. One, that's it, that you could do at a Planet Fitness. You can do at a $10 gym, right? If you really wanted to, I prefer you getting a coach. <laughs> but if you really wanted to, you could do it at a $10 gym. Um, it's one set to failure on five minutes. It takes about 12 minutes. That's it. And you're out for the day. You're out for the week. It's it's incredible. It's, it's mind-blowing to me. Um, uh, in that. So check it out. Uh, so we've already given two people or people, two options here, five minute catapult swings, 12 minute, uh, <laughs> um, but I still, like I said, at the beginning, hire a coach, right? Don't take this on your own. The higher, like, what does the coach really do for you in all of these situations? Like what they really do for you in the business, in your life, in your family, in your body, in anything that you want to do, what they really help you do is time, right? I said the second part was time. Okay. What do they help you do? They help you compress the time. It might take you forever, literally with Brighton. Right now it's a forever thing. If I had unlimited time, if I had forever, she would live. You would. We'd figure it out. Humans are incredible and capable, and we'd figure it out. But I don't have that time. I have 
three years, right? We're going to pour so much love into her that she's going to make it longer. Like, I know it because we're just going to pour so much life and energy and love into her. But in all of this, like, you still only have a finite amount of time. You don't have forever. You don't have forever to get your business in order, your finances in order, your family in order, right? So that's where the mentor, that's the coach, that's who comes into your life. They compress the time. They allow you to see the pitfalls, right? We talk about the gym, you know, three hours a week. Well, there's 165 other hours a week that you've got to take care of. And that's where that mentor comes in. That's where the coach really helps is in those 165 other hours, right? You can't work all the time. You need to spend uh, uh, time with your family. You need to go on vacation. You need to spend time with your friends. That's where the, that's really where the value of the business mentor comes in. It's not in making you more money. It's getting you freedom. You know, all of us married our wives or, or boyfriends or whatever for a reason because they made us feel amazing and because we want to grow together. We want to grow together. We want to have this amazing, again, not defined relationship, this fulfilled relationship. So like, what is that? And for me and my wife, really, we know it's quality time. So what do we need? We need somebody to help us look at, you know, uh, where we can spend that quality time. How can we do that better? And, you know, that's really how, you know, rabbi helps a lot, how my dad helps a lot and everything. That's what these mentors provide to help you get the clarity and to help you to bend time. You mentioned this earlier about what you did specifically, but you're describing what mentors help doing and that's to minimize and focus. Yeah. That's it. Cut, cut out all the other crap that's that's distracting you from from whatever you want and like you said it can be the body you want the business you want the family you want no matter what that is they're going to help minimize distractions focus on what's important and get you there sooner than if you were to do it on your own because yeah. i've tried that way for many many years yeah. and it's that's a long road man and it, it yeah. feels like it's it never ends but i've had like you mentioned, Jeff Larsh, he was, he was my first mentor. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, what a great guy. And now yeah. he's doing crazy, amazing things right now. So um, yeah, I can't, un, I can't overstate the value of, of having a coach or a mentor. It's, it's definitely a, a game changer. Yeah. Josh, this is <laughs> what an amazing story. Uh, What's what's next for you? I know you said you're going to spend the rest of your time pouring as much love into Brighton as possible. Um, how how is it possible for you to keep that that focus, knowing that there is a, an end coming? I mean, that's yeah. it's got to be a challenge. <laughs> it so is. How, how are you keeping that mindset? Um, it it's hard. It's hard. Um, gratitude is definitely a big one. Just being thankful for, um, getting to spend time with her, um, holding her, um, uh, playing with her, um, doing PT. Like one of the things that, um, has almost become a mantra in my life is like to choose life, right? Choose life. What, you know, uh, this is, this is really cool. Um, so we were talking to the, um, the lead doctor, 
at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which has the Frontier Program for Mitochondria um, Disorders. So that we're talking about the best. This is the guy in America, um, uh, in all of America, the guy. And he said, um, the most important thing, the one thing, one thing in all of their clients, every single client that has Lee's disease um, is physical therapy. It's to work them out. The one thing, because no matter what, when you work out a Lee's patient, when you make them move and you do all of that, it helps the healthy mitochondria to actually reproduce and grow and get stronger. It's the one thing. So, I, you know, being a gym guy and everything, I had to have <laughs> like, so is that what you would tell everybody? And he's like, yeah, he's like, everybody on staff here works out because we know how important to mitochondria it is. It's the one thing that helps every human on this planet to live a happier and healthier life. Like it's the one thing. So it was absolutely mind boggling to hear this like, brilliant brilliant scientist doctor say um work her out and work out yourself um so we do that we get her up we get her moving um uh, we just got a nursing service that's going to really help a lot they just started um this last week uh it's going to take a team of like five to seven nurses and right now we have one um to fill all of her time and everything but already it was amazing because yesterday we were able to really get her moving and everything else and like um have uh, a third set of hands to help with that and you could tell brighton loves it the days that me and kelly are just zonked and we can't get over there you see her just like lethargic and everything else and then like yesterday um she's full of life she's um, smiling she's making faces she's doing everything um so you can tell like she wants that too she don't want it when you start she's like yeah leave me alone but after you get her going <laughs> she's she's good so that's one thing is just choose life like and it's so simple like will this add to her life will this add to her enjoyment uh tasting foods yeah she can't eat but we'll take little bits of food and everything and let her taste it and see if she likes it. And that's a lot of fun because something she really uh, likes like apples, you know, a little bit of applesauce on her tongue, just to let her kind of gum it around brushing her teeth. Oh my God. That kid like loves having her teeth. brushed. <laughs> loves it. Like we're every night. You like, you can see she'll wake up. I should kind of take a nap from like six to eight. She'll wake up and she'll start smacking her lips together. And then you bring over the toothbrush and she's like in heaven. Like she loves it. She knows that it's coming, you know, at like eight o'clock, you know, that internal chronometer is, is spinning. Yeah. Um, but like, that's a big part of it, right? Because uh, the sadness creeps in when I think about all the things that I'm not going to have with her, that I'm not, she's not going to walk. She's not going to talk. She's, um, you know, she's, she's not going to go to school. She's not going to get married. She's not going to give me grandkids like that. When I think about those things that are just like totally out of my control too, that's when the sadness just creeps in. And like, we talked a little bit about the progressiveness and seeing that she can't do things like <sighs> videos of her as a little baby, as, um, when she was starting to do those things, those just gut punch me. You know, but again, you just have to immediately um, 
not immediately. You got to sit in that sadness a little bit, but you can't let it overcome you, right? Like you can't ignore it because then you're just repressing it. But if you can let it run its course a little bit, and if it's lingering, talk to somebody. If it lingers, talk. And I do, I'll immediately reach out if I'm like, oh shit, it's, uh, I cussed. I don't know if there's cussing. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Uh, if it's been like 48 hours or I wish I could catch it in 48 hours, it's more like it's been like three or four days and I'm like, Oh, I'm off. I need to like call yeah. somebody and talk. Um, but you know, sit in that a little bit. Don't ignore your anger. Don't ignore your sadness. Don't ignore those things. They're there for a reason, you know, like God ultimately gave you those emotions to help you. He did it, right. It's our reaction out of them. That's either good or bad. There is no good or better emotion. They're just to help you. So uh, if I find that, you know, me and Kelly will talk a lot. I know I haven't really talked about uh, uh, us, but we will recognize it in each other. Um, actually, I didn't talk much about me and Kelly at all. Dude, we've gotten so much closer. It's insane. You know, I can't tell you how often, you know, we heard like this thing will push you apart. And I can tell right? You can tell, like, you can start feeling that tension because you're both doing everything that you can and you feel that struggle. Um, but once again, we found, um, you know, like I said, quality time is already our thing. So um, I just found that doing things together in this, watching movies together, putting everything else down, sitting together, talking when we're feeling uh, like that, um, uh, helping each other, like all of those things really, really help. So what I just encourage people is like, find out your spouse's love language, you know, like you feel you're drifting, find out your spouse's love language and, and just shower them in that, you know, like most of the time, what I found with guys a lot of time is they have this image. I actually, I talked to a guy very recently on this and he's like, man, I have this image of who I want to be as a husband to my wife. And he's telling me like, I'm going to do this and this and this, you know, what do you think about that? And I was like, you're going to burn out and be tired in two days for <laughs> all that. And what's worse, you're going to be resentful. And he's like, why am I going to be resentful? And I was like, cause she's not going to want three out of four of those things. Like she has a way she wants to be loved. Go find out what it is and love her that way. Cause then you can do that a hundred percent. But when you try to do all this other stuff because you think it's what she wants or because you have this imaginative movie story thing going on in your head, go talk to her, find out what it is. So that's what's really helped with Kelly. It's like, I know the way to her heart. I know what I need to do. I know I need to spend that quality time. And secondary, I know it's the access service. So cleaning up the kitchen, cleaning up those, those things. But the quality time trumps doesn't matter if I do the acts of service, if I don't spend that time. So um, funnily enough, or sadly enough, I really got into Vanderpump rules this past year uh, because uh, Kelly, it's one of her favorite shows. So um, uh, going through all this Wednesdays, I've been sitting down with Kelly and watching it and, uh, and, you know, movies and all of that. And it's been a lot of fun. And as soon as we get more nurse help, you know, it's going to be walks. Kelly really likes walks and stuff like that. So I've been grateful that my wife and my own is not gifts 
like actual yeah. gifts. It makes it so much cheaper that way. Yeah. So we we know that it's quality time. And our, our show that we were watching consistently was uh, Ted Lasso. Yeah, like, we watched such a good show, man. It's yeah. crazy. So now we're talking about like now that it's over, should we like start from the start again and and redo it? Because I don't yeah. I don't know what else is out there because that's all we've been watching. But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. why not? Why not? Yeah, we watched uh, season three together and we binged it over a weekend and just really enjoyed it. So yeah, yeah. a lot of good life lessons uh, in there. Yeah. So there. Now I've talked about Kelly too. There you go. Well, uh, you. You kind of answered. I was in these podcasts with the with the same question. Uh, you you answered it multiple times throughout this, but maybe if you can kind of sum up one. So the question is uh, for our listeners out there. I want this to be a practical um, episode or, or or a podcast. Yep. So what is one practical piece of advice you can give somebody to become a more resilient human? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So. You may have heard this, you may not, but I call it laying out the battlefield. Okay. So anytime that you're in that struggle um, or you're just facing some type of adversity, big, large, whatever, um, if you sit down and you really think about what are the constraints, what are the problems, what am I feeling um, or anything like that, and you just write it down. Like, I feel disconnected from my spouse. I uh, feel a lack of energy. I um, hate my job, right? You just write it down. You lay out the battlefield in front of you that you're facing. Because a lot of times there's more than one. There might be a root issue, but that doesn't matter right now. It's just lay out the battlefield and write it down. Take the time to actually get it out of your head and get it onto paper, okay? When that's done, now an action plan can be taken on any of it. And I find this little tool, this little thing to be one of the most powerful pieces of advice that I give to people over and over and over again as I'm mentoring them. Lay out the battlefield. Now we can actually set a plan. And I find it just makes you more and more resilient because what you realize again, man, when it's up in here, it's Satan. Yep. And you're, you're just getting accused and accused and accused of how shitty you are and everything else, but you get it down on the paper, Satan goes away and now a plan can be made. Right. So then it's just, do I know what to do? Do I know the action? Action, not thought, not anything, action. Right. If I don't, then I'm going immediately. I'm finding, I'm posting on Facebook. Hey, I need somebody who knows how to do this. I know somebody who's dealt with this or I'm calling friends, you know, Matt, Kevin, Scott. Hey, have y'all ever dealt with this? What action did you take? Do you know somebody who is? Man, it is a life changer and you will add more tools to your toolbox to become more resilient so fast by doing that. You will become like, undefeatable at solving your problems or getting somebody to help you with your problems and make you more resilient. Awesome. Yeah. We, I obviously push that and promote that P pick up a pen, even yep. if you think it weighs 700 pounds, because oftentimes it does Yes. for whatever reason, people, it's not that they enjoy it, but it's like a habit. They, they keep those negative thoughts in their heads. 
And maybe it's that, that feeling of being self-reliant. I can do it myself, or I can take this on when you don't have to. And just writing it down is that first step in getting it out of your head. I've used the analogy. So you've kind of linked it to Satan as those negative thoughts. The analogy I like to use is those negative thoughts is the equivalent of putting a a bucket of marbles in your dryer and turning it on. They're (laughs) bouncing around, making so much noise, damaging your mind in the process when you can just push stop, take them out and kind of examine those marbles one at a time. What's this one? What's this one doing to me right now? Yep. Is there anything I can do about it? Or is there somebody that I can ask to help? Yeah. So. My gosh, that's such a great metaphor. I love it. I love it. Could you imagine it, though, putting marbles yeah. in your, in your dryer? Like, yeah, so noisy. and you're right. Cause that's how Crazy. like I've laid in bed during this time. At times just like, ah, okay, go, go get my journal and start writing yeah. everything out. And then I'm like, okay, you know, I can take action on this. So I'm taking my marble. I'm looking at it. Yeah, I can deal with this one. Okay. Yeah, I can deal with this one. Oh, can't deal with this one. I'm going to look for help. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You, you can use that analogy with any other clients that you work with. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Josh, anything else that you'd like to mention before, uh, before we sign off today? Um, yeah. If you're a gym owner needs help, check out PT Legends. If you're a dad who needs help, check out Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Um, uh, if you just need help, you know, uh, uh, message me on Facebook, friend me and message me on Facebook, Josh Price. I look like this I'm a big orange beard guy. <laughs> Hard to miss. Yeah. Right on. I appreciate it, Josh. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it's a, a battle. Wish you and your family all the best, all the love. I hope you feel that, um, cause it's, it's real and it's strong. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review to catch all the latest episodes. Be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.